0: And we're recording. So tonight's guest is Jim Shanahan of Advanced Performance Shooting. Jim, thanks so much for coming on today, man. (laughs) You can't imagine how how happy I am. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm absolutely honored. I'm utterly honored. So Jim here is, when I first met him, it was in a class taught by Akil Kadir and Tiffany Johnson. They were teaching a USCCA instructor class. And just about everybody else in the class was really kind of desperate to get their instructor career started with a nice baseline, basic instructor certification. And it seemed like we were the only two in the room that really could not give a damn less about the USCCA. <laughs> right. It
1: was, a, that class was a means to an end uh, for me and it wasn't the means to get another instructor certification. No, it was a, it was a way to meet Tiff and ACK and and ask uh ask very specific marketing like
0: questions. It just took me seven and a half hours to get there from where I'm at. <laughs> Man. And I think that's incredibly humble. You know what I mean? Like I mean just going into a little bit of your background. Um army drill sergeant, um, Army Green Beret, uh how long did you serve? Like no I was I was never a special forces guy. I got a great opportunity to work with a bunch of bunch of them, but I was never a special forces guy. My apologies, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to misrepresent. No, so. not at all. It, and I hope there's nothing, I, I would hope to think I'm very, I try to be very, very
1: careful. Uh, the stolen valor kind of concept, especially in the instructor world, is I, I find personally very, very uh, offensive. N- not so much that that person doesn't care about the, the values and the honors that service members have based on their service, but, but when they use that to misrepresent uh, to a student, to me, that does the student a huge uh, disservice, huge disservice. I had, a, I had lots of opportunity to work with 10th group guys, first group guys, fifth group guys,
0: uh, but I purposefully made the decision to not go that route. So um, can you tell me a little bit about like what you did before You started instructing and, you know, like how you got onto this track. Well, I joined the army in 19, I I don't know if I should tell them what
1: year I joined the army. 1984, (laughs) right out of high school, I joined the army. Uh, There was never much of a doubt that I was going to make the army a career. Uh, It seemed like something I really wanted to do. And there was a pretty decent path uh, for me. Uh, I was a drill sergeant from 1994 to 1997. And that really, to me, was probably a life-changing event at the time when I was a drill sergeant. Uh, if you were selected to be a drill sergeant from amongst your uh, work group, does the Marine Corps call it MOS, Military Occupational Specialty? Um, yeah, we call it that. Yeah. If, if you were in the Army, if you were selected in your MLS uh, to go to drill sergeant school, it was an indication that they thought you were in the top 5% uh, of your job. And, and I was very honored with that. Uh, basic training all over again, the same amount of time, but you, now you got to learn how to teach those things. Um, I, I wasn't even through my first cycle with basic training privates before I realized that I wanted to do that for as long as they would let me do that. And I volunteered for the third year. Uh, that's probably the most rewarding job I ever, ever had, where you could see a kid that had, he may have been raised with some discipline. Uh, that he may, you know, his parents may have made him wear different clothes to school or the, or the correct clothes to school, made him be on time, but it was nothing compared to what he was going to experience in the military. They had no concept of what it was. And nine weeks later, you see a soldier walk across the stage and, and you've been a part of whatever they're going to do for their uh, career, and that was just a a huge honor for me. I watched uh, I watched fellow fellow drill sergeants and, and drill sergeants I'm sure Marine Corps drill instructors get a bad rap. They yell, they scream, they holler, not beyond me to use a little bit of profanity. But you know we'd sit in a dining facility and some soldier in line would do something and I just blow up. Bah! Then I turn right around, talk to my my buddies and they're like, dude, how do you do that? I'm like, what? How do you get so mad? And then you turn right around and you, and you turn it off. I said, I'm not mad. That kid didn't know. He didn't know. I yelled, so I don't have to say the same thing 65 times. That's the <laughs> only reason I yelled. I'm not mad. Why do you get mad at somebody that doesn't know what they're doing? And I figured out really quickly, especially on the rifle range, because I was a uh, in in the army, the the combat MOS jobs, they do basic training and their advanced training together, but all of them that are, are softer skills, uh, medics, cooks, truck drivers, uh, lots of the jobs, with basic training and their advanced training are in two separate locations, two different sets of catwalks. Uh, basic training is, uh, in the Army anyway, but, but, but there has to be X number of infantry drill sergeants, um, but there's all kinds of, i met boat drivers as drill sergeants, I didn't even know the army had boats, much less boat drivers. And I'm like, look, but I'd, I'd see people, drill sergeants, just lose their mind when soldiers would ask them questions. And I'm like, man, what? That question ain't to head. Why? Why are we get mad with that? Why? Why do we? It's because the drill sergeant didn't know, and they got put on the spot. Because the army, the military in general, doesn't teach most people how to shoot. And that that kind of laid the groundwork for what I figured I was going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I just didn't think it would take me this long to do (laughs) it
0: all. Yeah. So about when did you decide, like, hey, I'm going to start teaching people how to shoot? Was it as soon as you got out of the army or no, actually
1: a while? um, The very end of my three years as a drill sergeant. uh, I was very successful in, in our rifle marksmanship programs that, that are conducted in basic training um, the army's model is that the kid gets three chances to qualify with a rifle if they can't make it they send them home and i'm like oh, but that, that's not the individual that's the instructor well, yeah i was so successful helping those kids learn how to shoot that my last two cycles were, were only teaching drill sergeants how to teach people to shoot. I traveled all over the whole country in a program that I designed to to help military rifle uh, marksmanship instructors do a better job at teaching, understanding why we need to do things the way it needs to be done. So it's a repeatable. Shooting is just simple physics. There, there's the human element added to it, but the, the human element is pretty common, the mistakes that we can make. Uh, and people just had never been exposed to that. Um, and it, and that's the point where I, I came off the trail um, in 1997, and I started the business in 1998. Uh, the Army's big on, I'm sure the Marine Corps is as well. You know, whatever you're going to do, figure out what you're going to do afterwards. And at when 28, 29 years old, you're not thinking about the rest of your life yet. Yeah. <laughs> I started the company in 1998, bent on uh, going to do firearms instruction. I've had some retail um, adventures along the way, but that gave me a good, uh, well, 1998, and I didn't retire until 2005. Uh, So that gave me a good seven, eight years of not depending on it as an income, uh, but letting me learn. And I took advantage of the military. I left, um, When I left the, uh, the drill on side of it, I decided I was going to take every opportunity to learn how to teach people that, that I could possibly take. Um, I worked at uh, the range division at Fort Campbell uh, for the 101st, responsible for all the Wi-fire conduct of 160th uh, special operations aviation guys, all the fifth group. Ranged up every Wi Fi around that goes downrange, I was in part responsible for. So there was the administrative side of how do we do this safely? How do we mitigate uh, all of the risks so that uh, the military can do the training that the military has to do? Way more, way different than the civilian side, but still insight for what I knew I wanted to do uh, down the road. I left there and went to Fordham University in the Bronx. When the army said, Hey, we're going to send you to New York City, I was like, What? New York City? Are you, are you kidding? I said, Dude, can you get grits for breakfast in New York City? And the guy's like, What? And I said, Can you get sweet tea in a restaurant? And he said, What are you talking about? And I said, See, you don't know what you're doing. But I really enjoyed my time uh, in New York City. And I taught at, um, at Fordham University, right across from the zoo in the Bronx, uh, right down. Uh, Right next to Little Italy, biggest small town uh, in all the world, guaranteed. Um, But I learned a tremendous amount about teaching, teaching at the university uh, level. Things that you can say to a basic training private or a student that might be paying for your type of training aren't necessarily the same things that you can say to a college level student who's tens of thousands of dollars in debt trying to learn what you're trying to teach them. Uh, so a whole different approach. Uh, and I left that and came back to Fort Linnerywood um, where I was actually a drill sergeant and I grew up not very far from here. Uh, and I took over uh, a large training director uh, had like you know, 130 or 140 civilians that worked for me, all instructors, uh, Wow. A few, maybe 110, 120. Uh, service members that worked for me and we taught. I oversaw the teaching of everything from uh, all of the what we call the common core skills. Um, yeah. And all kinds of stuff for um, lieutenants and captains as they go through their basic and advanced course. Uh, for engineers, chemical, and military police officers. Uh, as well as a big chunk of the enlisted side of that to include the program that teaches Army instructors how to instruct. So all of the all of the ins and outs, the how's training designed, how's it developed, how do we test uh, those individuals that we've trained, how do we test uh, the material that we're actually going to teach from inside of that. Um, so I, I tried to learn
0: as much about teaching from every aspect that I could possibly think of. And that makes sense too, because one of the things I've noticed about you is that even though you are a drill sergeant for so long, even though you can turn on the knife hand and you know, use the four letter words, you still yeah. have a way to you, you already realize that, you know, you can't talk to civilians that way. Right. You can't talk to armed citizens that way. And, you know, um you're able to turn that off and still be able to reach them.
1: Part of what Some of my peers laughed at me a lot in the Army, but I bought into the why early on. And I knew that if I could tell my subordinates, if I could tell the people that worked for me why we were doing something, and that built trust. That built confidence for them in what I was trying to accomplish. And they knew that when I couldn't tell them why, there was a reason, and if there was If we were doing something that I didn't know the why, I was gonna go find out. That's half the videos that we produce now. You know, somebody thinks something, and I'm like, man, why do they think that? I don't know if I think that, let me go try that. And sometimes I find out they're right. Sometimes I find out that, yeah, it's a different opinion.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so what what kind of students are you catering to right now? What kind of classes are you teaching? Are you looking at just Gateway students, or are you also looking for advanced LE? What are you looking at? We
1: don't. Um, you know, I shot myself, and that's in part what I want
0: to ask Tiffany about.
1: I kind of shot myself in the foot. Uh, when I really started pushing this early in 98, 99, time frame, uh, the Internet had just been invented. Uh, there were AOL chat rooms, and everybody was on dial-up. Uh, whatever, And I started seeing um, some stuff, especially early 2000s, I started seeing uh, instructors that were just, they were using it to shine a light on themselves. Uh, and I didn't want that light shined on me. I, I, was, I was really afraid that, and I, I don't, I think Tiff and AC have really defined uh, that gateway student. Um, I teach a lot of concealed. Carry even uh, in Missouri, we have constitutional carry. Uh, the year that that passed, my class numbers more than doubled because there were people like, "Oh, I can carry a gun now. But I don't know anything about it." You know? But uh, COVID year, we were doing three full classes, and I limit my class size to, to ten. I don't care where I go; I limit it because I want as much interaction as I can get. Uh, There's always at least two instructors uh, out there, somebody that I'm trying to help uh, bring up in the game correctly, uh, trying to help out. Um, But I think I don't view the concealed carry necessarily as that gateway student. That's my chance. Uh, That's where I start people if they come to us. Uh, I I really want to put my focus on that person that's now made the decision I'm going to carry. I'm going to, and I don't care, you know, if it's a military, I don't care if it's police, I don't care. Uh, I've got a very unique background the first 10 years uh, before I was a drill uh, a lot of unique opportunities and a lot of unique places that that led me down that that path uh, of knowing that there's, when we when we get on a gun and, and it's to save a life, it really doesn't matter. What got us there it doesn't matter the tactic that got us to that place or the reason that we're there, is unless we've made mistakes getting there. Yeah, the actual operation of that firearm, whether it's a, a rifle, carding, uh, or a pistol, it doesn't know. Oh, this is a defensive shooting. Oh, I got to do this, or this is a competitive event. It doesn't know the fundamental skills are the same and the. The divide that I saw is what I've tried to bridge since we started this. Uh, I didn't want to see the divide between, you know, the special operations guy or the, yeah. You know, I'm a concealed carry person, and I want to get better at this. And, and I don't, I don't really divide things between basic and advanced. And an advanced, we, I saw a guy out on the range today. In a video I was cutting out practicing with a friend of mine and he said I took your concealed carry class like 8 years ago and I don't know if you remember me and I'm like mm-hmm. I remember the face but and he said you had know, that's cut a playing card in half at 5 yards and he said I still remember that and the guy he's listening Dude, he didn't let anybody forget that uh, if you take a playing card and put it you put a slot in the target and put the card there and back off 5 yards and now you cut it in half that's a huge deal and and some people for to, for that individual they're like wow that was so cool and you could have called them names all day long but now they're holding their two pieces of their card and they're like man look at me I'm a rock star
0: <laughs>
1: and and some people would say that's an advanced skill that's a that's a basic application of of skill it it might be an advanced application of a basic set of skills uh, but, but it's still, point the gun where you want the bullet to go, and make it fire without movement. Uh, but, so we, we really try to push. I would say the person we're most looking for is a serious student. Uh, and our deliberate responder program that we're trying to push hard in 2024, this is a three-day program. Um, I don't care if it's weekdays. I don't care if they're you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But in part, that that separates the, and I'm serious about this for, or or I want, and not that I don't want the hobbyist, the guy that just has fun going to training for the sake of it being training. We know how, and there's social events. If you go to a range master class, if you've been to two classes, you, you, the second time you go, you're in class with somebody you've been in with before. Same if you've yeah. been to... Uh, a Sea Latham class, same if you go to um, anybody's, if you go to Green Ops, there's going to be somebody that's been ready for you go to Modern Samurai, there's going to be people, and they're like, dude, where do I know you from? Now you're standing there going, wait a minute, I did, I did this class last year, and I did this class, oh yeah, that's the one. I, I, I want <laughs> that, that person that's serious about getting better, that wants to hold themselves accountable.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I think that's most of the people that are listening to this podcast right now. So I think uh, I think it's something that we can very much relate to. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of this. Right. Um, so I think earlier in uh, like late 2023, there was the uh, the Rangemaster uh, Professional Trainers Symposium. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I tell you what, like it seemed like there were some super bright minds in that room. Um, oh, yeah. Would you mind talking about some of your takeaways away from that? Uh, I, th- I think I'm probably
1: still on cloud nine, having been selected as one of the people. I don't even want to know how many people were above me that said, "Man, I can't make it for my name to come in line." Um, but I think, I-, I think the guys that got to speak. At that, as well as the folks that were just there to, to be a part of it, I think all of us sat around like, holy cow, how, what did I do to get to be here? Uh, it was such, such an honor uh, to be there. Um, I have a horrible affliction. You know, I've smoked my whole adult life. And most of the time when you go uh, to anything, you're, the smokers are outside by them, by themselves. And there's another very well-known instructor who had a speaking part of, um, in that. And the first break we took, I'm outside smoking with him. And I'm like, I never thought I'd be in a class with this guy. I'm much less outside talking to him while, while I'm smoking. Not that there's anything
0: good about smoking. I'm not saying that
1: at all. Um, Literally
0: smoking and joking. Oh, no <laughs> kidding. Um, and to, uh,
1: just to be, Lynn and Tom Gibbons are such great people anyway. Uh, I mean, they're just, I'm so honored to, to call them friends and then to get invited uh, to that, to see that family-like adventure. And that's, there's three generations of firearms instructors represented in that 30 person, 34 people up in total there from, uh, I think, I can't remember, there was a little bit of an argument between Tim Kelly and Lane Fair, which one was the youngest one? Um, and I looked around the room and I said, Yeah, I don't, I'm not the oldest and I'm not the youngest. So I'm just going to sit here and be quiet for a minute. No. <laughs> but but um, it, it, it ended with hey, should we, was there value in what we did and should we do this again? Um, and everybody, oh, yes, absolutely. You know, there's lots of talk. How do we, an estimate, and if I get the numbers wrong, I hope the guys will say something if they watch. Um, we're like ten thousand something firearms instructors right now. People that can legitimately call themselves an instructor. Uh, I I couldn't even calculate how much, uh, how many hours I have sat in the seat to learn to be an instructor. Most of the people that we see now calling themselves that. It's a two-day class. Uh, and and it, I know that Missouri's NRA instructor program is what is written in state law is one of the things you have to have in order to teach concealed care. USCCA is approved, but it's not by name written into the law. And in those guys, there's no oversight. There's no uh, holding them accountable. They're not required to do an apprenticeship. Uh, like program, and there we we'll talk. You now, how do we, how could we do more? What could we do to, you know, I don't think any of us really want to discourage them from being instructors. We want to lift them up to get them to be the best instructor they can be. Uh, but sometimes I think they, they. You know, one of the topics we talked about is they don't realize that there's a whole world of people, it's a tiny world, There's a whole world of people above them that um, have way more knowledge that needs to be shared, and the people that it needs to be shared with are the ones that need it the most. Most guys think, and and I had several sidebar conversations, most of the people that were there are not teaching that basic concealed carry program. They're they're beyond that. Uh, Competitive, uh, high-end, classes, those kinds of things, they're teaching instructor classes, and I really believe that, that I don't I don't want to see oversight, I don't want to see a governing body step in, I don't want to see any of that, but the the mom, the single mom that realizes that that we live in a crappy world and she might need to have to protect herself and her kids, she needs the absolute best instructor that she could possibly find. She doesn't need the guy that just learned how to, to do that thing. She needs the guy that that has forgotten more about running a gun and the tactics of running that gun in a defensive setting than, than they have time to teach them. And, you know, I think um, Carl Wren has a, uh, when we brought those points out, uh, an excellent study where it says 1%. Of the gun-owning population and is outdoing anything beyond a basic level of training, and yeah. for most of those, lots of those, it's it's just a concealed carry requirement. It's a it's a certification course that you know, if, who knows if it's squared away. It probably meets the state requirement, but the state requirement isn't very difficult in most states, and but they leave out of there thinking man i know everything there is to know and i'm happy with what i No, you don't no you don't we've barely touched the iceberg and i really think that you know our delivery responder program if i could get them in there and and introduce them to that concept the highest standard possible and the means to get to that that high standard for themselves and then if they never take another class I've given, I've done everything that I can do you know, to help them along the way. You know, I, I go to you know, concealed care classes around here all the time. Just, yeah. they you know, like, uh, and I watch that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think they're lying on purpose. Sometimes I think, man, do like, you not know how to read? Can you not look at the state law and see what that actually says? <laughs> oh, I don't think they're trying to be misleading, but the student that is misled is misled nonetheless. So that that was probably one of the biggest takeaways uh, I've, I've always believed in, in a very high standard. We should hold ourselves to the highest standard possible. Uh, the, the, the Army's uh, non-commissioned officer, uh, Creed, uh, when, when I got promoted to an NCO very early in my career, I tried everything I could that pretty, you know, the highest standard possible, and holding myself accountable. And, and I think that's what what I have always tried to do with the shooting side of the business, the teaching side of it. Uh, and and at the symposium, I was surrounded by people that also want to see that stand, that super crazy high standard, uh, because we can. I mean, that's the performance side of what we're doing. That you know, I I picked the word advanced very specifically when I named the company, but, but more because it was the letter A, so it would show up early in the search if there were alphabetical involved, but it was never nice. advanced like beyond basic. It was advanced like moving the clock forward in the springtime for those places that change the clock every, every year. It was moved beyond this thing uh, and the performance side of it was long before we thought of performance shooting as what we're currently seeing, I was like, I'm probably, I don't remember if I made Grandmaster in 99 or 2000, somewhere in that ballpark. I know I lived in New York City when, when I did. Um, and and I thought, man, if every, if every special operations guy, if every cop, uh, if everybody that carries a gun could shoot at a Grandmaster level, Oh well well this would be a great world. Holy cow, the bad guys would be afraid to be bad guys. They're probably bad guys that might try to shoot at that level. And it's probably not realistic uh, to to hold to have that hope. But to raise the standard as high as we can, I think, is realistic. So that's probably and they're gonna do another symposium. Um, Tom said I sent him an email, thanked him. I'm sure everybody did. that was awesome man my two cents don't ever let this stop when when you decide you don't want to do it anymore figure out who's going to take your place but it ought to be it ought to be every year it ought to be reoccurring and we have to include other people so it doesn't look like um, that cliquish like like thing that we so often can see Um, tom sent me an email back and said hey you probably do have to invite different people uh, make sure we're including as many people as we can, grow this as best we can. I got like, yeah, cool. Sad that I didn't get invited for the second one. And then two days later, I got an email invite for next year's. I'm like, yes, yes. Hey, <laughs> go to Nashville again. Oh, I'm gonna put it on the calendar. Um, and I know a lot more of the people that are going uh, next year. So I'm, I'm super excited about, about that event. Just one more chance
0: uh, to raise that standard just a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so I keep thinking back to all the decades of experience that you have. And I'm also thinking back to the young instructors that were in that USCCA class that, that were we remit. And also I'm seeing, uh, you know, the instructors that are online that are just now starting off their journey and they simply just don't know what they don't know. Um, like, what kind of advice can you offer to them as far as how to how to perfect their craft?
1: Go to classes. Go take classes. Hey, it, it, I look. I, I don't even remember how many classes I took last year. Uh, I got invited. Uh, I think I AI'd two of Tom's classes. One was a five day uh, class. And when I say got invited, I'm like, Hey, if you need any help, let me know. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're sure. Okay, I'll be there. Uh, but any chance to get out an AI, uh, it's a pretty tough place um, to go. I mean, it's Steve, my my, my partner who you know, I tried to get him to be here, but he's he's more camera shy than I am. My I've been married to the same woman for 35 years. She said I have a face made for radio. And I was like, "No, this is a podcast. There's a video." And she goes, "Oh, you're screwed."
0: Uh, <laughs> that's right <all> <laughs> there.
1: But my my style of teaching um, goes back. I, I tell that story um, to people that are interested in and in why I teach the way I taught or teach. Um, I was raised in a Nazarene church. My brother's a Nan- Nazarene minister in Billings, Montana. Uh, my church is a very old church Uh, when one of the guys that would routinely get up and sing if he wasn't if he wasn't 142 years old he was he was close to it couldn't carry a tune in a bucket but he'd get up and sing every chance they got i i don't remember ever seeing a choir in our choir loft at church ever and it was not a megachurch by any means. If we had 130, 140 people in a service on Sunday morning, that was a big deal. Um, And I I grew up an hour and a half from Kansas City, something like that. Uh, And one day, one of the church choirs from Kansas City, from another Nazarene church, came down and sang. And that choir loft was swaying back and forth. And holy smoke, I never, ever heard music like that in a church. And the choir director is up there, and he's dancing. And you're not supposed to dance in the Nazarene religion when, when I was of uh, church age. That's kind of a, he's dancing, and, and they're swinging and singing, and he'd call out some lady from the middle of the choir loft, and they'd empty half the loft. She'd come down to the front, she'd sing her solo, and then she'd fill back in on the end. And then he'd pick somebody else, and they'd empty out the other half of the choir loft, and she'd waddle around, come out to the front, and sing. And I'm like, and i have probably 15, 16 years old. And I'm like, why wouldn't I put the solo artists out on the end where they don't have to empty the choir off for them to get there? And I asked the choir director in the little dinner we had for them afterwards. He said, I don't know who they're going to be. I don't know who <laughs> the solo artists are going to be. I, I expect them to know the song and to be able to perform when I call on them. And I was like, holy smoke. And that's how I try to bring... The guys that have expressed interest in teaching with or for me, that's what I, I tell them, you hang out as much as you want. Hang out, hang targets, do whatever, I'll do everything I can. I, I said at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna call on you and I'm gonna expect you to get out front. And if you can't sing the song,
0: yeah,
1: I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you on the spot. I'm not gonna it's not I'm not gonna do it until I'm pretty sure that you're ready. But know that it's coming and you better be able to stand up and perform because that's what i think this job requires you know i'm I'm huge in demonstrations i taught um, like most small businesses when when this was my retirement plan three days out of the army i'm like here we go i retired on like a friday monday the phone didn't ring and i'm like that's okay it's monday it's my first day retired. tuesday when the phone didn't ring i was like that's okay you've only been retired for two what if the phone doesn't ring wednesday what are you going to do so i went right back to work for the government uh teaching marksmanship uh jumped on a contract to afghanistan teaching uh it was originally a navy special operations contract uh, for a training requirement Uh, they referred to us they ended up hiring a couple more than they thought, but they referred to us as a $6 million money for what they wanted. The, the, the government came back and said, Dude, if you're going to get that, it's going to cost this amount of money. They didn't pay me nowhere near that. <laughs> uh, but I had an excellent training opportunity uh, for uh, close to 18 months in Afghanistan, and then came back and taught Department of Defense SWAT teams at Fort Wood for another eight years before then I thought the business was ready to stand on its own two feet you know, and really do uh, something. So the guys that, the guys that think they're going to you know, quit whatever it is they're doing that's making money and they're going to go teach, oh, that's a tough go to hoe. There's, there's literally probably for most of them 15 or 20 years worth of experiences that, that they have to be able to tie together. Before I think they're probably really ready to uh, to teach. Uh, some of them can do it. Uh, Tim Hare is a great example of somebody. Uh, oh yeah, he he ties a lot of his previous life into what he's doing. Uh, very passionate about it. I don't remember. I don't remember when Tim started shooting uh, USPSA uh, stuff, but it, it, it's a bunch of time you know, figuring out how to get there, um, figuring out what works. You know, Red Dots have showed us so much. The guys that we, one of the huge divides with the instructional side now are Dots versus Heinemanns. Yeah. All, All either one of them does is tell you where the gun's pointed. That's all it does. It doesn't point the gun for you. It, it, it's not like, oh, and it makes a lightsaber kind of sound. It just tells you <laughs> where it's pointed. And it, all the all of it, I was a huge front sight focus guy. Huge front sight focus. I have shooting glasses. that have reading lenses. And then from when I started getting a little bit older, and I'm like, oh, my God, my front sight's a little bit blurry. Holy cow. We could have been target focused 150 years ago. We just didn't know it. Sometimes you need a little bit more precision inside of it, but we could have been target-focused a long time ago, and dots didn't show a lot of us that for a very long time. Or without the dot, we didn't see that for a very long time. Uh, guys weren't paying close enough attention to know what they were really. Good. Rob Latham, in an interview, said, I've been doing that for forever, and I was embarrassed to tell anybody for fear they'd laugh at. Dude, you were Rob Latham. Who, who's going to laugh first off, you're huge. You can shoot really good. You can keep them from laughing at you. <laughs> but <laughs> C. And I, Mike, and I are good friends. We were B-class shooters back in the day. 97, 98, 99 time frame. B-class shooters. Both of us in Tennessee. Um, Emmanuel Bragg, B-class shooter with me. Trying to figure things out. What I think, I think Bobby Beaton was born a grandmaster. I'm not sure. But <laughs> yeah, when I shot my first Ipsic match in 1986 in Berlin, the guys I was working with were like, "Hey, this is what we do on weekends because there's that's another training opportunity for us." So, and Berlin didn't have a whole. It was a pretty cool city to live in in the in the mid '80s, but. You know, so I went to the range and I started in that and there wasn't even, there wasn't even masterclass that ended
0: at A. Oh yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you yeah.
1: either shot a semi, you either shot a 1911 or you shot a revolver. Once in a blue moon, you'd see somebody on like a Browning high power, uh, but that was rare. Yeah. And no pair of woodlands, pair of ordnance hadn't even made their high cap frame yet when I first started into that, and nobody had really thought about putting a dot on a competition gun back then. Different world. And those are the experiences that the new uh, generation of instructors uh, coming up, up. that's what they miss. One of the guys that got me so interested in teaching, probably more than he gets credit for, is is one of my high school history teachers. Uh, He was just such such a... a he, he's just such a good history teacher that he, I just wanted to sit there and just listen. Tom Tom Gibbons' historical aspect to what he teaches in all the Range Master classes to me is so critical. You know, there's nothing new. But all this has been done for, for however many years we've been doing it. There was somebody, I don't know if David did just learned how to throw that rock with that slingshot or if somebody taught him. But, but if somebody taught him, he was talking about the same fundamental set of skills. Hey, I'll fit, put your feet like this. Keep your upper body straight. Put your focus on where that's supposed to be. And maybe he was self-taught. Maybe he had a little bit of help. But the, the instructional side of it has historical importance that lots of the new guys are just missing. You, know, you Go to a three-day class and grab it and run. You know, and I think the it's it's interesting to me i would like to know what percentage of people that are going to um i don't last two years maybe three years i haven't been to a class i think i think dates following was the last class that i went to that wasn't an in instructor level classes i see far more instructor level classes now because i think everybody that was going to take the not instructor level has already taken it and guys are like oh what i gotta do now oh i'll teach an instructor class and go and you you see so many people at, at like uh, range master classes that they stand up in their introductions have no no intent to start a business or to teach people other than friends and family and i'm like and if some of these little guys and I don't mean little because they're small, I mean, brand new, yeah. starting out in this, if they saw that, uh, you know, have you met a um,
0: good friend of mine, Phil Fogel? Have you been? Yeah. A- oh, like I forget what class it was, but yeah, he was in a class soon to be 84 years
1: old. And I'm like, the first class I was in with him, uh, I think was that Dave Spalding class. And he was just getting started. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna stay away from that guy. Uh, yeah, you, as long as you keep him pointed that direction, cool. But he kept at it. At 80 something years old, the, the the next class we ran together was a range master. I think maybe the five day course, and he was on one extreme end of the firing line. Had to move as the peer coach to the other end, and at 80 whatever, he's running down the firing line. To get to his end. He's not running fast. He's running faster than I wanted to run. But I'm like, man, if these guys could see the level of dedication to learning, then they wouldn't wonder why we want that for them.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That shirt right there on that guy. That I don't know where where Phil saw it, but I saw Phil wearing one and I'm like, ooh, I gotta get one of them. And Steve, <laughs> he finds everything. The first one of those came was a medium.
0: I ain't been in a medium
1: in an awfully long time. That ain't gonna fit me. So it's on the dummy.
0: But <laughs> first time I saw that shirt was um John Hearn <coughs> was wearing one. Oh John. he's retired now. He's retired. John Hearn? Yeah, like last Friday was his That's right. official retired day. Yeah. You know what? He posted a video on Facebook with his last call. Yeah. And um Man, tell you what, like, like it—that never gets old. No, that never gets old. Listen to those, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I think, you know, I never. How how long did you stay in the Marine Corps?
0: Only nine years. It, uh, uh,
1: and I think that, I don't probably most branches are the same. Uh, Fort Leonard Wood is the largest contingent of Marines outside of a Marine base anywhere in the world. Uh, i don't know if you knew that there's a ton of marines here wow Uh, very well kept secret on the the team of uh, instructors i taught with when i taught the department of defense SWAT teams each of the teams uh, were composed of three civilians a soldier an airman and a marine and the marines they sent here to help teach that were just, just super super cool marines most of them on their way to marsoc uh, that was just a stepping stone. Um, we, you know, I've got, i will a hearing aids because I spent half of my life doing explosive reaching as a means to get teams into a building to help people. Uh, and Army's hearing protection wasn't always the same. But I think lots of times, uh, somewhere about the eight, nine, ten-year window, service members start thinking, man, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? Is this really what I want I, I kind of thought about a career in law enforcement and actually had a pretty good opportunity to to go into CID. CID was very receptive at the time, and the infantry branch is like, we're not going to let you go. We've spent way too much time and money in your training, and it's no. And I'm on the wrong, just get out of the Army. You know, like, it's cheaper for us if you get out than it is if we let you go do something else. I stayed stayed for another 11 years after that. Um, But I I think that whether it's a military retirement, whether it's a law enforcement uh, retirement, John and I were talking, I think, of a symposium. uh, And he was considering it. When was the symposium? October, I think. He was... Think so, yeah. I think it was middle or end of October. I don't think it was November,
0: it wasn't, I don't think it was Thanksgiving and Christmas yet. Uh-uh. So, uh So,
1: but he had made up his mind, he didn't know a date even at the symposium. And I and I laughed and said, I said, You'll know, you'll know the day once you hit that window, you'll know the day. The day when it's time for you to do something different will stare you in the face, and you'll be like, Whoa, Okay, today's the day. So I'm glad for that. He's such a the I can't imagine the level of research that that he has put. Oh, I I can't even. Oh, super super smart, nice guy, and I, I don't I'm I hope he doesn't watch. I don't think he even realizes how smart he is. When I started working on this light kind of concept. Uh, for a visual start versus an audible start, just a couple weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, right after the symposium, as a matter of fact, he, he comes back in response, Oh, you need this, you need this kind of resistor. And I'm like, Whoa, dude, <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> if we're at Radio Shack, you can point to the part that I need, but I don't even have a Radio Shack here. I mean, he's such a smart dude. So, I, I think the fact that, uh, He's as involved as a range master instructor, uh, staff guy, uh, with the knowledge base that he has and the ability to do the research. I think the the, the people that will seek him out for training are, are way more luckier now than they were last year when he was still a full-time
0: law enforcement guy.
1: So I'm yeah.
0: excited to see how that goes. Me too, mainly uh, because... He's like right down the road from me. Tupelo is just an hour and a half. So, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> so.
1: Yo, I would text him right now and say, hey, what you doing this
0: weekend? <laughs> he's probably
1: trying to figure out what to do now that he's retired.
0: But it won't take long. I do need to text him. I do. Because, like... I want to get him on the show <laughs> i want to get yeah, him we, on here
1: <laughs> you need yeah. a translator you, not necessarily you but you need like a little translation of things that comes across the bottom because he's going to use big words and he rattles them off fast i'm like holy smoke i can't even read my notes when i sit in one of his classes because i'm trying to write so fast that
0: yeah it's not happening yeah You catch one nugget, and while you're writing it down, he's got three or four others. Right. Wow.
1: Well, my list of things is both of the protective pistol craft five-day classes next year. I want to try to AI both of them. One's a little bit farther drive than I really want to make, uh, but you know, if Hearn, you know, there's so much. I don't. I don't think John had a I don't think Hearn had a speaking part at the symposium. He, he spoke up quite a little bit. I mean, everybody was sharing what, what they had. Um, but just like John Holstrom, and I've listened to Holstrom talk about visual versus audible uh, stimulus for a start. I think, I think the symposium was the third time uh, that I've heard versions of what he says based on the same neural systems system uh, and I and I kind of dismissed it the first two times, but at the symposium, I'm like, "Hey, you know, I need to look at this just a tiny bit. I need to think about this." And you know, some of some of what's available, like that uh, from Dustin Solomon, uh, that company he's involved with, that's a pretty expensive system. And uh, when you're you know, when you're on a military retirement, when you're when you're banking on you know, putting people in concealed carry classes, and I have a full time classroom now. Uh, the shop that I used for eight years when I started when I left government service that burned down in 2022. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it just got 30,000 rounds of nine mil delivered uh, when the fire started. I'm like, Oh, please don't let it go around the corner, please don't let it start out. Well, I got lucky.
0: Uh, oh, I
1: to, to find my classroom. In. Uh, and now it's a matter of putting people people in seats you know, to keep the lights on that that's a challenging part uh so i've i talked to john poltion a little bit talked to her in a tiny kind of bit but, um but let me let me let me see what i can play with for pennies on the dollar to try a visual start versus the audible start and see if i see a difference poltion has so much um research in that system that two or three or four years worth of building building into that um and i saw enough interest with just i bought a led light in the automotive section at walmart and a thing of speaker wire uh yeah part of uh, the old are you ready uh yellow timers yeah found not the the noisemaker and the shot sensor are one and the same and i don't know anything about amps or bolts but if you're holding down on the shot sensor when you push the button uh, it's a pretty electrifying experience (laughs) Uh, but i took apart a packed uh pro timer and i just connected lights to where the speaker connection was and i could see a visual start and i'm like oh and there's there's something to this there's value in looking at this uh, from a student perspective and it no matter what we do, whether it's uh, lasers or lights, uh, any amount of technology that we add uh, to a training package, it has limitations. You know, some can, lighting conditions and smoky conditions. Uh, you know, any I've worked quite a little bit in the virtual reality field for the government for a little bit, uh, not only in firearms training, and it's it's pretty advanced, but it still has limitations, and it will always yeah. have limitations. You know, turning targets are pretty cool. They're expensive, but they're pretty cool. And how much value does that add? You know, if it costs me $25,000 to put turning targets on my range, the only thing that different that a student gets is that target turning the face and then turning away, Fancier really than start and stop, deep and another deep maybe. So I've fiddled around a little bit. We're going to... You know, I've got a pretty decent I ended up having to bring an electrical engineer in because I just don't know nothing about electricity. Yeah. What relays and switches look like. Uh, but with just automotive section lights uh, from Walmart, uh, and a couple of nine-volt batteries and a 25-year-old timer, now I can stand out on range and have a visual start to visual stop, a change in behavior uh, for students. Uh, and without the work that Hearn and Holstein are doing, and that, I probably would have never, you know, it took three times me hearing Holsham's presentation before I even paid attention. I mean, I took notes every time, I listened to him, but the third time at, at a class, it, and that's, that's in part what these new guys are missing, you know, it, we yeah. know, when we go to class, we know whatever amount of money it cost us, that we perceive the value in spending that amount of money, you um, and most of us realize after the, maybe, maybe it takes one or two, but after one or two classes, you're going to, if you walk away with one thing from that class, one thing, you're, you're a winner out of that deal. Guys, I went, Ron Avery was, I, I, I shot with Ron forever uh, from way back in the day. I don't even remember when some, if a lot of people don't know, I've done a lot of block work. We, we were doing... We were doing double undercuts on polymer frame pistols in the late 90s, early 2000s. I used to paint STI grips and do the stippling on STI grips before they were uh, staccato. Uh, good friends with the people that owned the husband and wife team that owned STI. Then, when, when I first did two undercuts under trigger, Guard, people looked at me like, What are you doing with that? I'm like, Dude, wait till you try it. And we were the only company that ever be a factory approved grit modification. Uh, there's guys that are cutting on blocks now that have no idea who started those cuts. At, um, I'm not trying to be famous for that. I'm trying to make a comfortable gun that people can shoot better. And Ron had yeah. come by. I've known him for a while. And he's like, hey, you really want to make it comfortable? Cut it right here and right here. I'm like, uh, okay. And I, I got to do Ron the year before he passed away from cancer, cancer was just a horrible thing. I got to do his five day combat master class. I think he called it. It was great, great class. Um, the by invitation only class. If, if if he didn't know how, if he'd not shot with you, he had a list of drills that you need, this is where you need to set your camera up. This is what I want to see in the drill. Send me that and I'll make a decision. You know, one of the only classes I've ever been to where there was like uh, the audition at the beginning of class and and he walked up to the guy and said, Dude, you ain't ready. I don't know what their arrangement was after the fact, but he was like, You ain't ready, this is not gonna help you. You need to go do something else this week. I'm like, oh, holy cow. Yikes. Uh, it's such a such a smart guy, gone way too soon. Um, and and did a lot of work with Force Science Institute trying to figure out how to help cops do better in training Uh, and those are the pieces i think we were i don't even remember what year that that was i could walk down my wall of fame and find a certificate probably but uh he said something about manipulating the trigger and kind of in one ear out out the other ear all my class notes are in the same binder from all the classes i've ever been to and sometimes I, i have to Fumble back through them and figure out stuff. Um, I went to, uh, I think, Modern Samurai uh, Red Dot Instructor class, and they said something different about the trigger, and I was like, "Oh, hold on, let me go back over here to something I heard seven years ago, and think, uh, now it starts to come full circle, and, and that, that's the piece that I think it's our job." To try to demonstrate to the to the guy that wants to be an instructor, uh, that that's the part they have to do. It, 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 you may you might tell them you're a Marine Special Operations guy, uh, that you were a Mars operator. You might tell them that, and 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 get people in class. That you're only going to fool people for so long. The 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 effort that you make up front. In your, in, in being the best instructor that you can be with, and I don't really have to be a grand master level competitor. I don't think really you have to be a master class uh, IDPA competitor. It sure makes it easier to stand back and show somebody if you possess those type of skills. It, 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 I would expect the instructors should be as good or better. Than most of their students, but the thing that I would expect is more than anything, is the ability to perform on demand. And if, if you throw them this, you throw them this. don't don't BS them. Everybody misses. What, what part did you do wrong? Now can you make it up? Can you can you put the wheels back on and control it and do it again? and I think that's probably what's missing for so many of them. Uh, is is no they didn't have anybody to set the example. Uh, mentor gets thrown around quite a little bit and there's a lot of um, yeah, probably hard feelings is fair. There's a lot of people that tried to help other people. They tried to mentor then then they got screwed. Um, yeah. That, that hey let's do these things together and, and the, the mentor reads. Just took everything in ran. Took all the credit for it and ran away. And I can show you several examples. And nobody wants that. That's not, you know, that's not fair. I like it. But there's you know, something, something to help out that, that new group of people um, come up where it, it doesn't, where it doesn't dumb down all that we've worked for. This is this is. We're, one of the um, one of the topics of the symposium was, you know, we're now into the fourth generation of firearms instructors. That there was wow. this original group, and then there was the next one, and there were three generations of them represented in the symposium. Uh, in the in the picture, I had never met John Farnham before. Uh, I knew who John Farnham was. Uh, I got to shoot on the line with him. I, I, I'm not sure how old John Farnham is, but if you look up old in the dictionary, he's one of the examples.
0: Well, <laughs> but
1: Tom, Tom pulled me right next to Lynn for the picture, and John Farnham's got his hand on my shoulder. I'm glad that picture didn't happen at the beginning, because my head would have been so swelled up I wouldn't have been able to listen to some of what they were putting out. But, but part of the current new group of guys, they don't have a clue. Who, who those people are and what they what they brought to um, professional firearms instruction across the board. Um, and, and, and TACOM getting ready to come up. Tiffany's putting out the hey, here's an instructor for this, here's an instructor for that. And I'm, I'm I'm almost looking at that risk like, okay, well I'm not sure how old that guy is, I'm not sure how old this one is, but if, if those that we can't let those ideas, those great minds go away without experiencing it. And you can read it in a book, you can watch it in a video. But to be in a place, a class or
0: whatever the format,
1: be able to talk to those people is so critical. So such a big deal, I think.
0: Huge deal, huge deal. So um, we've been going for about an hour. it just flew by. <laughs> so, um, Jim, I, uh, before I let you go, uh, I just I do want to say thank you so much for the time and your insight. And it's just absolutely amazing. Um, the uh, For our listeners and our viewers, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? How can they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, the, the website's pretty easy, advancedperformanceshooting.com. Uh, you mean to give me my cell phone number on here? I don't care.
0: Oh, yeah. um, the website's fine. Um, if you uh, are you on, uh, I know you're on Facebook. Uh, yep. Are you on Instagram and uh, YouTube? Uh, I don't
1: do. I don't. Yes, I am. I don't
0: do as much on there. I really
1: have fun putting little short videos up with uh, whatever background music I have that I might not have permission to use some of. But I'm not trying to make any money off of them. So I try to keep them off of Facebook or off of uh, YouTube. But it's pretty easy to reach me from Facebook. Uh, Shoot me an email. Find me on what Deliberate Training Group uh, uh, 2.0 is working pretty hard. I'm trying to help a bunch uh, with some of that, uh,
0: which I think is – God bless you. (laughs) Uh,
1: And and that's our big push for the year is our Deliberate Responder uh, Package. I'm not a first responder. Uh, An immediate responder, that's that's—and there's no thought. An initial responder, ours is that deliberate responder concept. I am here where I'm supposed to be emotionally and physically prepared for those things through training to be able to respond if that's what I have to do. And I don't care what the motivation for learning of it is. We're going to do it in a two-day program uh, as well as a three-day program. Three-day would be my preference. They're priced identical. Uh, I didn't even raise the price for the
0: three-day program because it's wow. awesome
1: for, them for One more, uh,
0: one more day of their time. So, so it's a whole additional day that's basically no additional charge.
1: No additional. The only uh, six twenty-five is where we're putting that that level of training, uh, whether it's the sixteen-hour block or the twenty-four-hour block. If there's uh, additional range fees that that we can't usually control. Um, then there may be a little bit more for the third day. Uh, But I I think uh, the classroom work is what's missing from the two day. I think it's critical. It's split up in the three day program where we're in class, on the range, on the range all day, and on the range and in the classroom. But I can save people a whole day uh, to get them back to work. I'd rather be on the range than at work any day. But I can get them back to work uh, early and still do the teaching the fundamental skill sets of teaching uh, that they want. And one of the things we do in, one, in most of our classes, you know, I ask, hey, some concealment, of uh, three yards, four yards, whatever, what do you want to see the shot on this hipster target at? And somebody will usually say, oh, under a second. Boom. No, oh, whoa, that was a point .8, point .9, something. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the hit that I wanted. But hold on, let me see, can I black? And I'll incrementally slow it down a tenth of a second at a time to get the exact hit that I want and still finish in like 1.5. So the delivery responder package is a a, fundamental set of skills under control, developed under control. That I think is not missing. We're not doing anything better than a lot of our peers. We're, We're taking a slightly different approach. Uh, but the fundamentals of marksmanship are the same. You know, I'm, I probably don't talk about trigger like some guys might talk about trigger. I usually don't care what you do. I want you to point the gun at the target and make it fire without moving where it's pointed. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what you call it. But uh, hopefully, we'll see, folks. Uh, we're going to try to do them on the road, so we're looking for hosts. Uh, I don't have a huge hosting requirement, uh, so. Try to do a few on the road. I'm 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 old enough that I don't know how Tom drives all the places that he drives. My butt can't handle that no more. Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can't sit in the car that long. Holy smoke! Um, don't really want to fly, but I'm not closing the door. I have tried to keep it local since 1998. I don't know how many years that is, uh, but but I want to I want to get out there and help you
0: know,
1: more people want to make money doing it. Uh, it came, I mean, you gotta, gotta feed my family somehow. Uh, yeah,
0: do this for free.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what we hope for. And I really appreciate the opportunity
0: to talk with you. I'm afraid I did any really more talking than you did talking. <laughs> I'm here for it. Like, that's really like the show was never really about me. It's, you know, about like getting some highly skilled instructors and shooters and, you know, introducing those folks to people that may not know who they are so i'm honored
1: you'd put me in that category
0: i'm honored that you'd even say yes i deserve it i think it's amazing (laughs) well we'll have to do it again yeah let's do this again let's do this again um so um before we like before we let you go i do want to say uh to my uh to our listeners and to our viewers I just wanna say thank you so much for the time that you spent with us. Um, your time's very valuable. You could have spent it with your family or you could have spent it earning some extra cash, but you spent it here with us and I just wanna let you know how much we appreciate it. So thank you for watching. Jim, thanks a bunch for coming on, man. I really do appreciate All right, you, it. Alrighty, and folks, thanks a bunch for listening. Welcome to Memphis.